Good afternoon and welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield broadcasting from the Fontenelle booth during Husker Harvest Days. No surprise, we had a WASDE report. We're really going to dive into what that report had to say, how the markets reacted. Some might leave you scratching your head a little bit and questioning uh, the initial reaction. Obviously, we saw some algorithms going on, but we're going to take a look at what really caused the market trade today. Heather Ramsey joins us. Heather, of course, is with the ARC Group. Excited to have you join us here back at Husker Harvest Days for another Fontenelle Final Bell uh, WASDE report. you got to start there. <laughs> so much anticipation coming into this report before today. And somebody described it here at the show. It was like they took a balloon and they just slowly let the air release. <laughs> um, that's probably a pretty accurate statement. I think market does a really good job of kind of price discovery around reports themselves, like for about the week leading up to it. And so I think this morning's direction was a good indicator. We were down this morning, obviously, of kind of where we thought things would go. Volume also plays into this too, right? Volume is super low. What volume is trading? There are a few big lots here and there that tend to exaggerate things. So when you have the report come out and then all of a sudden everybody wants to trade for that first five minutes, <laughs> um, we see that trade um, overreact in a lot of cases that first five to 10 minutes after a report. I think that's definitely what we saw initially. There was some jockeying back and forth. You could tell that there's individuals in the markets who see those numbers and the reality is the changes in core and the changes in beans for the U.S., really not big changes, not anything out of line with expectations, all falling well within the range. Um, wheat, from a global standpoint, that one was probably a little bit more shocking, took some actual sizable changes to global wheat. So if you're in the business of understanding markets and understanding supply and demand and things like that, this was not a shocking report. It shouldn't have been that bearish. I think if you're in the business of trading for a living, um, you need volatility, you need action to make money. And it seems like this was an excuse to go ahead and over-exaggerate maybe something here. Uh, this soybean market response definitely more negative than what I was expecting, giving those numbers, uh, you know, reducing yield, but then hiding some of those yield losses by reducing exports and upping acreage and things like that. So overall, not a big change, but the market grabs onto the sensational thing they can find, and then they run with that. So I don't want to use the word market manipulation because that's the wrong thing to say, but in many ways it is. I mean, we're taking robbing Peter to pay Paul and manipulating the way the numbers look, even though in the end, yeah. it's still pretty much unchanged. Yeah, at the end of the day, it, yeah, to your point, I don't like that word, but it's all math. And how do we make the math work? And there's a lot of varying opinions on what is the purpose of USDA, right? Um, and there's several theories out there. I like to think at the end of the day, we will fundamentally come to where we are truly representing true supply, true demand. But getting to that in-between is always kind of a guessing game. And where can we, to your point, rob Peter to pay Paul in the equation and still make things work? When you look at soybeans, we are so tight um, already. You know, this is September 12th. I mean, and we're already looking at a bean carryout that is within 60 to 80 million bushels of pipeline stocks. That, that is really small excess to work with. So you think about it from the standpoint of we don't want to cause, you know, wild extremes or, or shock from a USDA report. So what do we do? 
we try to keep it as minimal changes as possible until the absolute last minute kind of situation. So they're going to continue to kind of kick the can down the road here on this 23-24 bean and corn crop until they know for certain, without a doubt, here is what this crop size looks, looks like. At that point in time, you'll see some truer adjustments to yield. I mean, this yield adjustment was good, don't get me wrong, but you'll see some real true adjustments to yield. And then we'll start having to see some real true adjustments to things like export, industrial, biofuel, that kind of thing. But right now, we just don't want to cause like pandemonium <laughs> around crop size and soybeans. All right, since we're talking soybeans, um, looking at this, we know that China has been going to South America, getting Brazil. So if we're short on beans here in the U.S., is it the doesn't really matter feel? Because we already know that China's been buying them from Brazil and not really fully looking at the U.S. for new crop beans. That's actually a really great question because I think people assume Brazilian beans and U.S. beans are interchangeable. I think the more I learn about production in South America, I don't look at them as, you know, beans to beans. I mean, it's they're both beans, but we create a different quality product between the two hemispheres. Um, one of the big differences is our beans actually go through the natural maturity process and they dry down. You know, we, we don't, we hardly dry any beans in this country versus in Brazil, they dry every single bean. So when you look at the quality standpoint of what you're getting between South America and North America, two kind of totally different things, which fulfills two totally different needs and hits two totally different, um, consumers of those products we're seeing that that could be somewhat of an issue going forward here. If China sticks to their guns and says that, yes, any, any reserve soybeans that we've bought, beans to go into China's big stockpiles, right, those need to be 13% moisture or less when they go on a boat. That will be interesting to see if they actually enforce that preference. They know it's a preference. Brazil knows it's a preference of China, but China hasn't put an official date to do that. That would make a difference because then Brazil would have to dry down another drying process on those beans, or they'd need to go find beans that are inherently dry, which would be the U.S. because Argentina, who can do that as well, has no shippable beans to speak of. So that, yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> All right, well, stick around, folks. We've got a lot more coming up as we get ready for the second half of the Fontenelle Final Bell again. We're broadcasting today from the Fontenelle booth right here at Husker Harvest Days. We come back, we're going to continue to look at this WASDE report, look at the numbers, how the markets react. We're going to look at it from a corn and a wheat perspective. No surprise, some global issues being factored in. It's the Fontenelle Final Bell right here on the... Husker Harvest Days is here. Please join us one final year in the Fontenelle Hybrids Tent at the show September 12th through the 14th near Grand Island. There's plenty to talk about, including the merger into the new Channel C brand, our proven performance potential, and an expanded corn portfolio for 2024. So stop and see Fontenelle at Husker Harvest Days. The same local commitment with new possibilities. Always read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Well, welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. Again, we are broadcasting today from Husker Harvest Days in the Fontenelle booth. And Heather Ramsey continues to join me. She is with the ARC Group. And I should mention, a little side note, you are still going to be in our booth as well through tomorrow, correct? Yes. And then, and then John Lechtenberg will be there Thursday. So I'm here today, tomorrow, and John is here Thursday. 
Perfect. We were talking when we left break. We were talking Wazi. We were talking, of course, on the soybean side of it. I do have one quick question before we jump into the corn numbers. Wazi, the algorithms, the computers that jump in right away, there's a big push from commodity folks saying, can we get these reports now after the close? Because it doesn't benefit us. It doesn't, definitely does not benefit your clientele. And we get a quick catering to, to foreign entities. Yeah, you know, I think that's an, uh, a valid concern from the, from the ag side of the world, from the, the actual human traders. You know, I mean, the thing about it is you write these algorithms, they instantly digest this information, and no human being can act that fast. When you also start looking at the market is there, the the primary goal of the market was to help farmers. I don't know a single farmer who reacts as quickly as any computer algorithm does. Um, You know, and and, then I don't know, you know, myself included, you know, I got to pick up the phone and call everybody and try to figure out what's going on. And, you know, so I think there's a a valid concern there. Um, You see that in some other market situations where big time reports come across in the off hours or in um, in a time frame that is a little bit less, I don't even know how to say it, less, less susceptible to these crazy knee-jerk reactions. So I think it's a valid point. I don't know that anyone will actually go that route. We're <laughs> so kind of accustomed to the timing of things. I People are adverse to change, so I, I'm not sure that they'll get anywhere with that. So as we look beyond the soybean numbers, which ended up coming up pretty neutral, uh, give us your thought on the corn numbers. I was actually pleasantly surprised at the change that USDA made specifically around yield. Um, they've been so slow to change a corn yield. Uh, everyone's just convinced that corn is um, almost immune to big yield swings, which is funny. After last year, I mean, we saw some massive yield swings in our neck of the woods last year. Um, we actually see state by state, there's some key states that have problems, and we we all kind of knew this. We've all been talking about it in the ag side of the world. Uh, you know, you see Illinois come across at a 198. I mean, that is significantly low for those folks over there. Um, Iowa's put in some low numbers. Missouri put in low numbers. The thing about it, I think that most farmers have kind of lost sight of is as much as we are downgrading the yield, um, you know, one, being in that 170, having a 173, I think is huge at this point. I mean, it's, it's small, but it's huge to have it be that small for a September report after we started in the 180s, right? The thing that people are um, forgetting about very quickly, though, is how big the acres are. So even on that reduction, it was uh, 0.8 of an acre or of a bushel reduction, we still have these massive acres. And so it's going to take some actual decreases in yield, some actual increases in demand to change that carryout number real drastically. Um, to say that we're going to be bullish on corn, I think you've got to get below 2 billion bushel carryout. You probably got to get below a 1.8 billion bushel carryout. So there's a lot of room to, to move. We, we need to move a lot of corn out of this country. I think at some point we will. Uh, they always say the cure for high prices is high prices. I absolutely argue that the cure for low prices is low prices. You will see demand pick up once we've realized some, some sort of seasonal bottoms here. You'll see that. Okay, what about this global factor that continues to weigh on the wheat? It's like this dark cloud that never <laughs> seems to go away. I just, for the longest time this summer, the term hate selling <laughs> was happening around wheat. And I do feel like traders were totally hate selling wheat. They didn't know what to do with wheat. Like, 
everyone felt like wheat should be higher because of all these unknowns and uncertainties around growing, uh, growing conditions everywhere, production everywhere. Um, you know, Ukraine and Russia, that conflict is still going on. You know, what do we do? Well, we should go higher. Well, why aren't we going higher? Uh, the funds have decided to hate sell it. You know, so there was a lot of movement to the downside because we could. We'd seen these absolute highs. Well, what do you do with an absolute high? You sell it, and then you just keep selling it till you find your absolute low. And I think that's what people were looking for. We have put in some serious low numbers on wheat now that argue that we probably have put in those lows that we're looking for. I think there's absolute realization coming across that you know Canada is bad, Australia is bad. Movement of wheat consistently out of that Black Sea region is not good. There's there's issues all over the place. It looks like we could see some upward movement on wheat, but again, it's slow moving when you've had funds be so short for so long. Changing that momentum has been hard. All right, best way for folks to get a hold of you. They can definitely check us out online or give us a call. Uh, 402-484-7474 is the direct line, and I'm uh, extension 125. Thanks so much. Heather Ramsey's been joining us today. As we always remind you, commodity futures and options do involve a substantial risk of loss not suitable to all investors. If you're going to be at Harvest Days, make sure and join us for the program daily. This report's being brought to you by Fontenelle Hybrids and all their local dealers right here on the Rural Radio Network.